Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1362, entitled Selden Scene. Our podcast title is Foundation and Empod. <laughs> I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Now, we watched Vigil. Not Virgil from Thunderbirds, but Vigil. And we saw this on Binge TV, and we have binged all six episodes. Yeah, so it was very interesting. Both Rob and I had a little bit of a dip of the toe into the Scottish seas of this one and both really liked it. So Vigil is a British police procedural. It's a six-part miniseries, and each episode's about one hour. Did a show on BBC One in the UK created by Tom Edge and produced by World Productions. So we dug into a little bit of the history of nuclear submarines in the UK and also a little bit about the characters and the setting. But we'll just run you through again if you missed that. It is a crime procedural slash murder mystery set on board a nuclear submarine, the fictional HMS Vigil. We drop our DCI Amy Silver onto the boat to investigate the death of one of the engineers on board and as she pulls on the thread of that mystery sweater it all begins to unravel and we get a little bit of some interesting events on board the sub but also back on land as the Scottish Police Service simultaneously investigates what might have gone on on the sub the nefarious circumstances behind the whole thing and sort of unravels a bit of a conspiracy. I don't think that's giving too much away. We know there's going to be some deep, dark uh, conspiracy afoot in a dark British police procedural like this. Yeah, after a couple of episodes, both Rob and I had really liked it. There was some great Navy elements in there and the setting of the sub was well realized on screen. I whipped through the episodes. I was pretty hooked. For me, the setting of the sub is the real attraction to it. And I've spoken to a few people that have also watched it and they're like, oh, that police mystery on the sub, because that's really kind of the meat and bones of the thing. It's a strong character piece as well. And I did find my connection with DCI Silver was kind of what got me through when she's very much the strong central core of a lot of what happens on the submarine. So yeah, as we get through each episode, it becomes a bit of a culprit of the week situation, which I really enjoyed. And when we got to the finale, it definitely kicked off and was not afraid to get a bit action-packed movie scenario. What about you, Rob? It was very much a mid-submersible murder. (laughs) (laughs) I echo, or I, I ping (laughs) many of those things that you just said. Apart from the fact that it was actually a sonar operator, not a radar operator. My mistake. A very important detail. Thank you for pulling me up. (laughs) 
<laughs> the sets were great. Lots of clunky metal finishes mm-hmm. and the hatches looked like they were functional and they had the dogs to secure them mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. go back into the slots to stop them from being popped open by pressure. Mm-hmm. The set decoration, Janice McRae, she did this the little bits on the wall in sickbay. There were a set of shark jaws. You know, just the sort of stuff yeah. that maybe a doctor on a submarine would have yeah. or somebody would give to them as a gift, you know? Yeah, yeah. Prop guy called Paul McNamara. I mean, little things like the nuclear missile firing control hand. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, there was a lot of work put into all that. Tom Sayer did the production design for this. Full marks to them all for immersing us in the submersible environment at all stages. Torpedo mm. tubes. Periscopes, of course, yeah. we have a periscope. <laughs> yeah, I really felt like I was in there. Maybe cheated the size a little bit. Those boomer boats, they are quite big. Mm. When you're actually filming, sometimes you need to be able to get cameras in and out, and of course, and, and yeah, different angles and stuff. I don't know because it's all top secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, agree. I think the sense of space, you really felt that claustrophobic environment. There's definitely some scenes and some set pieces where lighting is used to really amp up the drama. I could practically feel myself clanging an elbow on a stray bit of crate, just the walk and talks through the hallways. And, you know, these procedurals always need to have the human element, the relationships, the characters, but the balance was just right here. It wasn't too much of the dramatic, but there was enough personal backstory for me to attach to as well as this great submarine setting. Top marks for that as well. And I did feel engaged by the characters for the most part. You know, Saran Jones, who played DCI Silver, and Mm -hmm. Rose Leslie as DS Longacre with that absolutely terrific Scottish accent that she had. (laughs) Sean Evans playing the CPO Glover. Patterson Joseph as Commander Newsom, the captain of the boat. Did he have a lot to put up with? (laughs) Yeah, he was just like a beleaguered principal. He was like just herding cats the whole time, trying to be strategic as well as managing all these, you know, drama. I did feel... A little bit fourth-walled by the fact that there was such an awful lot of bad actors, and I don't mean their theatrical skills. Yeah, yeah. It just seemed to be one too many bad apples involved in this whole thing. Well, the red herring elements and the misdirects, I think I kind of agree there's a lot of that going on to kind of get the plot moving. Yeah, you do end up with quite a few people in the naughty corner by the end of things, but the show did manipulate me a bit. Like there's some characters where I did a full 180, and it knows it's doing that to you as well it's leaning in quite a bit to that you did a crazy ivan which is where a submarine goes right back around absolutely followed i definitely did and if you watch that you'll know the character i mean and they do that on purpose so to pull that off congratulations to them i was taken out of the plot sometimes because of DCI Silver's backstory. Ah. I felt it maybe too conveniently plugged into the challenges of the submarine environment. You know, mm. like when you see the bones of the plot showing a bit too, obviously. Interesting. I mean, it was like, I mean, it fit like a torpedo in a torpedo tube and it was made for purpose. And all that. But, you know, they carried me along so quickly and efficiently that I give them that. Yes, I know what you mean, that the, the parallels between some of those things seemed a bit convenient. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. No, but I think they sold it enough for me and I think that's very much due to the acting and the writing as well. Yeah, I actually do agree with that. That's pretty yeah. paint by numbers. And I know it's fiction, but it certainly does raise a periscope 
on the question that is the United Kingdom's nuclear deterrent fit for mm. purpose? And maybe that's a good thing that they raise that question. Yeah, I think the international affairs strategic elements, maybe some of those got a little bit too much of a tidy bow towards the end. I agree that I think they were trying to raise a couple of broader issues as well as just using it as a bit of a set piece too. So Yeah, and I did really appreciate the disarmament peace camp setting that they had yeah. going alongside of this to show you that it's there's more to this story. You know, it's only the periscope that's showing above the surface, but there's all the rest of the ethics and the moral issues mm. and the stresses placed upon human beings having to go into these environments. And they touched on this a little bit, and I'm glad they didn't hit the nail too hard that some of the people that go into the Navy are escaping home environments that aren't ideal or this is one of their only options and things like that, that, you know, they end up in the Navy and that's what gives them purpose and a direction and this is their life because it's a tough life. You can tell just from kind of the hints it gives that you're working hard, it's the patrols are long and lonely, you know, you need ways to blow off steam and things and, and you know, a lot of the actions I don't agree with that happened. There was some some stuff that was uh, very interesting by the end, but I did Ooh. like that it did call out that sometimes people enter these kinds of roles because they don't have a lot left back on land. And there was the drill that they conducted at one stage, mm. and this is a boat that's designed to fire atomic bombs at people, yeah. basically. Yeah. And that was conducted with chilling efficiency, you know. Yes, yeah. Well, because that's and, it. It's procedure too, right? Like yeah. that's the whole point of the drill. They have to be able without emotion to step through the requirements mm. and getting a bit of a sense of an outsider's view of that, someone who's not in that regimented frame of mind. I've read and watched a whole bunch of stuff about this. I don't know why, but submarines fascinate me. Mm. There's a particular book I wanted to call out to. It's called Blind Man's Bluff, The Untold Story of American Submarine Espionage. Mm-hmm. It's by a guy called Christopher Drew. Mm-hmm. And this came out back in 1998 originally, and it's a fascinating insight and mm. you just think, my gosh, the things that go on under the water that we've got yeah. no idea about. A lot of it's been declassified, Absolutely. but a lot of it hasn't been. Mm. Uh, so I would recommend Vigil. It's not entirely unusual for Zero G because it's a weird detective setting, yes. really, really yeah. off scale. You know, they're not sitting in some little British <laughs> village town. Yeah, it's not like that at all. Yeah. But it is in a way. A submarine is a village. Yeah, it is kind of golden age and you've got this set cast of characters and we're digging through the backstory. So in some ways it it is very much that template but with the extra element of the politics side, which really sort of they flesh out a bit more in the later episodes as well. But I agree. I think this is a solid recommendation. I really enjoyed it. Six episodes, each an hour long, so enough time for it to really do what it wants to do, but it doesn't drag on. I definitely enjoyed it. And I think if you like British police procedurals, you're interested in submarine mysteries, even if you just like a solid kind of dramatic show, I think this could be for you. Mm, yeah. And it can be found on Binge? Yep. So it's all available now. It was dropping one week at a time, but the drops are finished, so you can pop on there and, and watch it all now if you so desire. Righto, here's a track from the soundtrack of the TV series Vigil by After Here, which is to say artists Bernice Scott and Glenn Gregory. It's called It's a Drill.
I'm Scott Westerfeld, author of Peeps and series Leviathan, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Absolutely nothing to see here. The track is The Drill from the soundtrack of the series Vigil by Berenice Scott and Glenn Gregory, also known as After Here. Okay. The Sci-Fi Film Festival. Mm, yes. Mm. Been running a few years now. This is a 2021 festival. Obviously, it's a digital program online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's where we are in this world of ours. 15th to the 31st of October. Yep. 13 features, 67 shorts from 28 countries. Amazing. What you do is you go to www.scififilmfestival.com mm-hmm. and the tickets are $8 per session or $29.99 for 20 sessions. All right, just a few to run through here that caught my eye. Say Yes Again, which is from Taiwan, mm-hmm. and it's about a young man who proposes but doesn't get the answer that he hoped for. And I don't know whether he wanted to know or not. But then again, <laughs> why would he do that? I don't know. Actually, it sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? So he finds out a way to repeat that proposal, Ooh. like a Groundhog's Day sort of thing. Right. Okay. Gosh. It's pretty frivolous when you think about it compared to some of the usual ways that happen well, on films. <laughs> I mean, Hermione used a time turner just so she could attend more classes. So, look, I'm not going to cast stones <laughs> on the way people use <laughs> time and time loops. <laughs> 12 months of Kai, where a web developer becomes pregnant to her personal companion, Android. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> lots of problems. Ilulu was about a scientist painter who goes back home and his home has super-powered caterpillars. <laughs> <laughs> We're being deliberately a bit vague on that. You know what? Caterpillars are super-powered. If you've ever watched one of them emerge from the... Absolutely. Especially if it's like Mothra or something like that. (laughs) Tales of Tomorrow. The last best hope for the world of 2165 is a boy from 1999. (laughs) Then there's the Canadian film, The Corruption of Divine Providence, (laughs) which is about a theological dispute over the fate of a Canadian First Nations girl who is exhibiting stigmata. That feels like that's going to be tackling some interesting concepts and ideas for sure. There's a documentary, and I think this may be the only documentary in this sci-fi film festival, mm-hmm. Steampunk Connection, which is obviously about free steampunk makers. Cool. Looking forward to that one. In a film called Lucid, mm-hmm. a woman can control her dreams, which makes her headspace way better than her mundane life. I mean. Isn't that a given? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, maybe it's not for like Elon Musk or somebody like that. You know, <laughs> I can't sleep which probably is a comment upon that previous film. A science fiction writer not only has to battle deadlines, but also the supernatural in order mm -hmm. to get their story written. In Echoes, there's a couple trapped on an island. Now, obviously, there's a science fictional reason for that, which I will not go into because let's hope it's not a lost airliner. I was going to say, oh, it's purgatory. It's always purgatory. (laughs) In the basement in Korea, and it is a Korean film, there's a family sheltering from an atomic attack. Um. 
These are features that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. but there are seven themed short program sessions exploring animation, dystopias, utopias, the future, technology, and its interface with humanity, and so on. Sounds so, like there's something for everyone in there, and a lot of really strong concept things too. So if you know you're into steampunk or you know weird AI sci-fi, uh, it sounds like you know you'll definitely be able to find something interesting. Hmm. That's the 2021 Sci-Fi Film Festival, cranking up from the 15th to the 31st of October. Digital program all online. Mm-hmm. Go to www.scififilmfestival, one word, dot com. Okay. Golden Age Science Fiction, Isaac Asimov's <gasps> Foundation. Mm, here we go. This is probably something that's been a long time coming like a visual Mm. adaptation of the Foundation series. Well, there have been other stabs at it. Uh, Mm. Lots of talking books actually work quite well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I listened to a cracking good BBC radio production back in the 1970s, but this is the first really big budget television series from Skydance. It's on Apple TV Plus at the moment, and so it is dropping one episode per week. So there's time for you to jump on board this rocket. I guess, and start on it. There's already a couple of episodes out and we've had a little bit of a preliminary look to get a bit of a sense and feel of where this one might be going. Uh, Created by David S. Goyer and Josh Friedman and, of Mm -hmm. course, yes, based on the series by Isaac Asimov. So I'll give you a bit of a word up on the series, a quick run through. Dr. Isaac Asimov, Professor of Biochemistry, prolific author who wrote or edited 500 books. It's joked that he wrote Isaac Asimov's Guide to Practically Everything (laughs) at one stage. He is one of the big four science fiction writers of the 20th century, along with Arthur C. Clarke, Robert A. Heinlein and Ray Bradbury. Mm -hmm. He lived from 1920 to 1992. Mm And the Foundation series began as a series of short stories published between 1942 and 1950, collected into a trilogy of books from 1951 to 1953. Afterwards, in 1981, he expanded it, as often (laughs) writers of big concept science fiction will want to do, (laughs) uh, two sequels, two prequels, and he integrated it his robot stories into it, implying they're in the same universe. This is what I'm interested in, like early kind of merging of universes, making one big canon. And we covered the robot series because, Rob, you sent me some books and recommended those. Detective robot stories, loved them. Very interested in how this overlap is going to happen because I've not read Foundation, but big Mm. fan of the robot series. Let's just say, well, no, I actually won't say that because that's a big spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) And although I'm evil and petty evils add up, you know, let's not go there today. Yeah. The fun is in the unfolding of the story. Hmm. Subsequently, other authors contributed to the series, Greg Bear, Gregory Benford, Mm -hmm. Harry Turtledove, Orson Scott Card, Roger McBride-Allen and George Zabrowski, amongst others, and there are still other stories being authorised by the estate of Isaac Asimov echoing on into the future forever. (laughs) This foundation has had a lot built on it. Yeah. Now, a science fictional tune from the upcoming concept album, Molix Ilom, which is a compilation of the greatest e-folk songs of century 23, as collected by the 
cyber-ethnomusicologist of the album's title, Malixalom's Century 21. Time avatar is actually Aussie East Coaster Matt Davidson. And this particular song is actually an advertising jingle provided to place the rest of the tracks in the album in temporal context of the future. It's for NanoFlex Galactic Insurance. (laughs) I wonder if their motto is, no matter the cosmic catastrophe, we'll insure you for it, while leaving ourselves plenty of wriggle room in case it costs us too much to pay out after all. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. NanoFlex Galactic Insurance from Preston inhabitant Matt Davidson's new solo project, Molixalom. The songs are sung with software instead of the more traditional dodge of robotizing human voices. It's being released on the 12th of November with a pre-release available now at molixalombandcamp.com. And yeah, we'll put a link to it at the Triple R page at rrr.org.au where you'll find today's zero g playlist okay rob jan and megan McHugh talking about the new foundation series yep Mm. now showing on apple tv (laughs) plus it's an american science fiction drama the story is basically that of a future galactic empire Mm -hmm. which is basically ruled and populated pretty much solely by sentient humans Mm -hmm. and some robots. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much at the sunset of the Empire. The symbol of the Empire, by the way, is a spaceship and sun. So it's like silhouetted against it. And if you were to look at that as a metaphor, well, in this case, the sun is now nearing setting. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Now, Asimov was inspired by Gibbons's rise and fall of the Roman Empire. I see. So this is why this comes out particularly strongly in the story. Yeah. Now, there's a mathematician called Harry Selden, although they call him Harry in this. They're really – I'm looking at the names written down and they've gone the very mainstream route for a lot of these pronunciations. (laughs) But here's the thing. I cannot remember hearing that pronounced. I'd have to hear Asimov say it himself, so I don't know for sure. It may be one of those cases of the science fiction writer just using a name and spelling it differently. I could find out, and I probably will. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Harry Selden, the mathematician, has developed the psychohistory theory that can model the future of large populations by using all sorts of equations and algorithms. And now I guess we would call it examining big data. Absolutely. I definitely think the visualizations of this idea in the series, we're very we're veering very close to it being like a computational type of algorithmic representation in terms of, yeah, big data sense and crunching the numbers. Yeah, in fact, they visualize it as a 3D hologram and literally a big cloud of data and lots of, you know, intersecting Mobius strips and uh, yep. circles, yep. like something that Tony Stark would design. It looks cool as. I mean, I don't see how functionally that's meant to represent doing maths, but sure, it makes maths look cool, so let's go with it. And listen, this is a hard sell as a concept for a visual medium. It is yeah. a really big mountain to climb. I can tell already from how they've executed it, that the ideas they've put a lot of work into how to actually get them on screen. Hmm. Uh, in fact, one of the characters actually, her calming mantra is to recite prime numbers. We're in you. solid nerd territory here, which was a place we're happy to be on Zero G. 
We're dealing with the fall of the empire and a forecast 30,000-year dark ages yep. after that. Let that sink in. That's a long time to mm. be steeped in barbarism. Now, Harry Seldon forecasts that this can be cut short to a 1,000 years if a foundation is established in the galactic rim far away from the centre of power of the imperial throne world of Trantor. Mm-hmm. And if they create this foundation, then they should build a city that can work upon the Encyclopedia Galactica, which will preserve all of the knowledge, very much like scientific monks in a monastery. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Writing a way to replicate and transmit all of that knowledge so that the future need not be quite so primitive. Yeah. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They've done three or four episodes so far. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've really represented that aspect of yet. the stories yet quite mm. so well. And this is an ambitious series, and they do seem to think they're going to have quite a few episodes to play around with, so I'll give them time on that. I did notice the first episode is we're solidly in set-up territory, like getting a bit of a sense of the world building and a couple of the basic characters and the goodies and the baddies. And then episode two is a slower burn, like we've kind of then the pace has slowed right down. So it'll be interesting where they get to and how much they can show or plan to show in this first season. And I'm rather glad that uh, the Sci-Fi Channel didn't do this. (laughs) Yeah, this thing is slick. Like, I mean, I love the kind of sci-fi that we're, you know, that's a little bit corny and a little bit niche, but this, we are like in high concept territory. We are in very high budget amazing special effects, movie quality set design and production design. Like Apple must have thrown a lot of money at this. Mm. Yeah, it almost looks like their budget is like imperial purse size. You know? it's, like, yeah. it's. I will say they've probably saved a little on – there are some really solid actors in this, but I wouldn't say there's anyone that looks expensive, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like no shade whatsoever, and I'm glad of it. I, I don't like when all the money goes into trying to get a name to lead something. I like that they've we've just got a solid cast and we're just funneling it all into this world. I don't want to be mean. These people are well – I'm sure they're getting paid a lot, but we don't have Brad Pitt in there running around or anything. So it's a pandemic. We work just to meet people. All right. So the creators of this, David S. Goya, Mm -hmm. uh, US American filmmaker, novelist, and comic book writer. Mm -hmm. So he's done the screenplays for (laughs) Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. back in 1998. Oh, wow. which, Which has got David Hasselhoff. Oh, bless. As Nick. And the Blade Trilogy, which is forgotten now by many people, but that's almost like a a proto-MCU. It also really was in the time where vampires weren't yet back in vogue. It was starting Mm. to kick off vampires being in again. Like it was around the whole Buffy era. Shout out to uh, Wesley Snipes for being in What We Do in the Shadows. (laughs) Playing Blade. Okay. Uh, He also worked on Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Mm -hmm. And sadly, Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Oh dear. He's also worked on a lot of video games too. Josh Friedman, again, US American uh, TV producer, screenwriter, known for the very excellent Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, the 2005 film adaptation of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and Terminator Dark Fate, which I thought was a pretty damn decent 
crack at the Terminator mythos and James Cameron's mm-hmm. Avatar 2. And you may have seen the neo-noir murder mystery, The Black Dahlia, in 2006. Yes, I did see that. And he also was working on the Snowpiercer television series too. Oh, cool. Another slick sci-fi series that we've enjoyed. Mm, so now it works on Foundation. The Skydance Television, uh, the, you know, the production arm that's doing this, and they've given us the solid shows Altered Carbon, which is a favourite mm-hmm. of mine, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Grace and Frankie, which is another favourite too. <laughs> I love that. I feel like being able to do both those different shows gives me actually a lot of faith. Mm. And so here they are coming together for the Foundation series. Now, I'm not really quite sh- sure whether they're just adapting Foundation as the first part of the series or whether they're going to do Foundation and Empire and yeah. Second Foundation as well. I'm on board for the ride at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another track from Matt Davidson's new concept album, Moloxalom, and this one poses the question, where do robots go to die? Well, clearly it's the television show Robot Wars, but perhaps in this context it's the future galactic empire where they end up being junked. This is Sir Derek Jacobi. Zero G or not zero G? That is the question. Where do robots go to die? A track from Matt Davidson's new concept album, Molixalom, which is being released on the 12th of November, with a pre-release available now at molixalom.bandcamp.com. The songs are sung with software and not by special effectsing human voices, just for your interest. And thanks to Matt for sending us a sampler of that album. Quite fascinating. And certainly right up Zero G's particular cyber alley. Rob and Megan here talking about the Foundation television series mm-hmm. on Apple TV+. Plus. Boy, if they decide to stream the entire series of Asimov's books in their adaptation, it's going to be a long show. Well, it looks like the first season is going to be 10 episodes, so they are dropping week to week. So we've still mm-hmm. got plenty that has not been released yet, so it'll be interesting to see the direction it goes. But on the little bit that I've seen, I mean, this can only be described as epic. Like they have mm-hmm. bitten off a big chunk, from what I can tell, have funneled a lot of energy into creating this world. And the Galactic Empire in this one makes the Dune one look like they're playing in a sandbox. It is vast. Yeah, yeah. You know, millions of planets. All right, let's have a look at some of the people who've chosen to populate this, which is interesting in itself as a key to Asimov's stories. Mm -hmm. Psychohistory, well, it's more about the flow of history. Yeah. It's less about the individuals. Yeah. Yeah, But we have a television series here. We have to have some people to key into. Yeah. So we need to be able to anchor to some people in this nebulous psychohistory world of foundation and the the galaxy and whatnot. So, yeah, they've given us a few people to cling on to. So first off, um, I think, is Jared Harris. So he plays our Harry. (laughs) I guess are we going Harry, Harry? We've seen him before in so many different things that we've talked about. He's done a decent bit of genre. He was in a Resident Evil Apocalypse. He was also in the TV series Lost in Space. He was in the fabulous Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man, which is – 
something that I would like to rewatch actually. And, you know, he's also gone through the ropes of your other kinds of British actory things. Like he played King Henry VIII in The Other Boleyn Girl. Yeah. He's done a little bit of comedy as well, but he was also in Fringe, which is another really great series, a bit of mm-hmm. sci-fi, a bit weird. So he's one of those actors, I think, who you recognise but don't necessarily know the name of. I do. Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. He plays Moriarty, one of the best Moriartys I've ever seen. And he was in the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Yes, another really good one. And he was in the first season of The Crown playing King George again, King George the Sixth. Okay. And he's also in the AMC series The Terror. Oh, yeah. Jared Harris was... Also in The Expanse, playing the Belter OPA leader, Anderson Dawes. And actually did not know he's the son of Richard Harris. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's bringing a bit of gravitas to this role. Sort of one of those ones where Harry straight off the bat, you're like, are you good? Are you not good? I don't know. I'm just going to trust and go with you for the time being. I think he's got his own motives, but from what I can tell, yeah, he's a bit of a slippery character still. That's my read. Well, this is the thing. He's a mathematician. He's going to get into all sorts of difficulty forecasting Mm. the fall of the empire to start with. I mean, that's a bold statement. Like he's going out on a limb, number one. Because most people are magic thinkers and really, and what they'll (laughs) do is if they hear you saying that, they're going, if you, you know how people go, oh, don't say that. Yeah, yeah. Because it might happen. There is a little bit of magic thinking going on there. He's modelling it, for God's sake. Mm -mm. It's like, don't think of the pink elephant. It's like, well, what are you doing right now? So, Yeah. And if you've read the books, we actually know that he gets it wrong on occasion. Oh, spoiler. (laughs) Ah, well, you know, this psychohistory takes into account large movements of population, large Mm. themes. It's really good at that, not so good at predicting the behaviour of individuals. I do like that as a concept, that there is still some element of agency and change and uncertainty mm. as well, but we've also got... Yeah, this kind of big concept math stuff going on as well. Further in the cast, we've also got Lee Pace. So he plays one in a series of characters. I'm not sure how to describe that without. He's one of a number of clones. He's fantastic in that very chiseled, ominous character. So he has been in Captain Marvel. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. So we've seen him pop up in the MCU. He played Ronan the Accuser. He's also been in the Hobbit trilogy. He's still a dick in this. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's be honest. Ronan is probably my least favourite character in all of the Marvel movies. No, that's so true. Poor Lee Pace. I wonder he'll play like a beloved character. And he's in, been in a couple of other TV series, period drama, about the start of the tech industry called Halt and Catch Fire and a comedy oh. called Pushing Daisies. He's another one that you'll probably recognise, has a bit of a background in theatre as well. But I think he's right away, I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with in this and he's definitely meant to be the face of the Empire and kind of this very, you know, tricky uh, ruthless character and I think Lee Pace does a pretty good job of what I've seen so far of just really filling that space and filling that role. And what they've actually done in the story is take a character who really is sort of mostly off stage Mm. and reference the Emperor Cleon, whatever number he might be, (laughs) and... Well, we'll go with this right up front. The Emperor was cloned and he's got a, a number of different aspects of him as a sort of a gestalt ruler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is really dead clever. 
I appreciate the cleverness of this because there's none of that, at least in the early Foundation series. Hmm. And what they needed to do here, I feel, was create a flesh and blood protagonist. Yes. Yeah. To play against our other flesh and blood characters who are the personification of the large movement through history. Absolutely. So yeah. view of human faces to this. Yeah. Something to and, rage against. <laughs> and Terence um, Mann is one of the other ones. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he plays sort of an older version of Lee Pace's of brother character as well. And I do like that. I think it also sets up some strong opportunities to make some striking kind of shots and some striking scenes and things like that with the three of them together at the different ages. Don't want to miss out Lou Lobel. So she plays Gail. So we've really gone for the Gail pronunciation of this name. So she she is a young woman who's come from one of the outer planets and she very much has some very special talents in mathematics as well and she becomes a very important cog in this whole psychohistory, Harry's vision, the foundation, and she's another character that we can kind of start to identify with, which I think straight away she's already got a lot of screen time in the episodes I've watched. So I think she's definitely going to be a bit of a proxy for the audience because a lot of this is new for her. She's really trying to navigate her way in this like kind of high politics, strange world, but she's also very, very important and has a bit of power too. And basically in the books, at the beginning at least, she's just the person who Harry explains his stuff to. She's a male in the original book. There's oh, actually- I'm glad that we've given a bit of opportunity for some gender diversity then. Because otherwise, given when these books were written, this is actually needed. Yeah. They also do something really clever with her character because basically they're just in a very minor role at the start of the Foundation books. Mm-hmm. They rotate that and prolong it in a neat way. Agree. I'm just going to call that as well. The costuming in this is awesome. I think it's really calls out the striking differences between like where all these characters sit and what their allegiances are. And especially I think a lot of her outfits, they change. She's in different sort of roles and with different people and so on. So I definitely think the whole design is amazing, but costumes, I really appreciated those as well. Also look out for Daniel Donald McPherson, Aussie actor from uh, Neighbours. <laughs> uh, he was also in the sci-fi film Infini. He was also in the Shannara Chronicles mm. uh, the fantasy series. And another actress to be called out is Laura Byrne. Mm-hmm. Finnish film actress. She plays the character of Eto Demerzel. And all of these sound like patent medicines, but, you know, <laughs> but she's a really strong presence in the first three episodes at least, and no doubt in more. Yes. A little wink and nod there. Yes, I can see that they're going to do some interesting stuff with her, and she is a very striking energy. Oh, Lee Harvey plays Salvor Harden. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a, a gender swap for the series, male character in the books. Another critical character who has been in that Fighting With My Family movie. Oh, with Florence oh. Pugh. She's supposed to play a character who was the mayor of Terminus mm. in the books, but they've called a warden in this and put her into more of a sort of a ranger police officer role to start with. Yeah, I can see they're just giving us a little bit about her and I imagine they'll probably be much more focused on her role a bit later on in the first season. I expected and had delivered upon them doing an over-the-top budget-busting realisation of the Galactic Empire. It is a character in itself. They also found a really good way of showing the fall of the Empire. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Terrifying and astonishing, and Arthur C. Clarke and Kim Stanley Robinson were both not in recognition if they saw it. Spot on. You've given Mm. us something that's not actually in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The art of adapting the page to the screen. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that Asimov alludes to off the page. Yeah. There's a strong vision here, and I think a lot of respect for the source material as well, but they're not shy to update things that need to be updated or change plot points to kind of hit certain things stronger and that kind of thing. And I think you're right. That's a sign of a a good and respectful adaptation. So I'm very interested to see where this is going to go. And Mm. especially as I'm not familiar with the books, it'll be interesting to see if I feel differently by the end that you do, Rob, being someone who's quite close to the source material. Well, I just reread the first book and I don't want to get bogged down in the differences. It's different to what I would imagine, but I think that they actually have to do some of the things they've done to make Mm. it fly. You know, otherwise it would be better off as a radio play, really. Yeah. Make the most of the medium that they're working in. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. The Foundation series on Apple TV Plus. All right. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you to our podcaster, Kayla Larson. Well, David Bowie read extensively in science fiction, cover to cover, and no doubt Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, and somewhat Famously and perhaps infamously, well, a bit of both, he toyed with the idea of the Superman in some of his songs. But here is Mr. Bowie covering another song about a Superman with Gail Ann Dorsey, Oh Superman. Until next week, remember, violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Respect and enjoy the peace. And Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.